made it to another episode of the Pipe Dream Podcast. This is a show that reveals the real and raw of tradesmen's stories. We get the truth from those who support the people who do the work. We also take a deep dive with resilience experts and those who do the heavy lifting, supporting the labor force. Listen for today's tale from the trench. Hello, my brothers. This is Nick Gemmel, the Awakened Tradesman. And the topic of today's episode is purpose-based business, a discussion with Chelsea Reschke. Sit back and relax and listen to today's tale from the trench. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Nick. How are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic. 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 Yeah, we got, we got a little bit of snow up in the mountains here um, overnight, so that was uh, great. <laughs> I went for a walk today. I had to put on my fall coat, so I'm I'm less excited about it. I'm calling you today from Edmonton, so it's uh, clearly we've had a change in season. Yes, no, absolutely, and it's uh, we're finishing off the long weekend here and ready to get back at her, I guess. So, <laughs> so yeah, and I, the reason um, I guess I'd like you to describe yourself to our our um, audience and uh and then we can tie together why it's relevant for you to be on the pipe dream podcast well i mean let's just start with a kudos to you first of all because the pipe dream podcast and what you've started here as a movement is is really um admirable and that's why i'm here today because i think you know, in recessionary times, um, more than ever, mental health support really needs to come to the forefront. Um, so I have an immense amount of concern over everybody in the oil and gas space. And I think that because they contribute so much to our lifestyles, this is a no brainer. I'm happy to share my story. Um, just to give you a bit of a sense for who I am, I guess it's easiest just to say that at my core, I'm a builder. And so you may have heard the theory of archetypes and it goes, there's builders, sustainers, and destroyers. I'm not sure if you've heard this explained like that before, but I I identified at a really young age that I was a builder and I was extremely drawn to the whole idea of being able to see my creations come to life. Um, It's exciting. So, you know, I went into the construction trades to support myself during university, learn how to place concrete you know, graduated with a biological sciences degree. And obviously I went into pharmaceutical sales because that was the dream job for me at that point. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a very interesting foray into how I, how I landed, I guess you could say in pipeline construction, but it's not really that surprising. Like I had such a draw to the construction trades and just feeling that sense of, I built this and this is like, something tangible that I've contributed. So yeah, I dove right in and ended up in the pipeline world for over a decade. So it took me across Canada and all across the US and eventually overseas to Australia where I was part of a multi-billion dollar energy project there in the outback, living in the wilds of Australia. It was a really defining experience. was really a hard thing to come home to the Canadian climate, but I had an excellent opportunity to join as a, as a VP of a company and start to develop automated equipment for the industry that I had just spent, you know, almost a decade in. So I did that. And from there, you know, just, you know, accumulated such an array and wealth of experiences and education. And I'm sitting here today with like a, uh, just an absolute admiration for what I've 
been able to draw from this industry. So it's been great. Oh, and that's amazing. And I always love to have the guests describe themselves because no one else can do it better. I can sit up here all day, <laughs> right? And no, and it's just amazing how you just see people um, where they come from to where they end up. And mm. and then the cool part is when you dive in a little deeper, like I'd hope today is like why that came to be like, you know, why, why did pipeline, you know, become the pipe dream and why is that so appealing to others? Right. And, uh, no, and it's amazing. And you, you mentioned a little bit of concrete, um, <laughs> and that was, yeah, I mean, it was a, a hard lesson, I guess, in terms of the physical limits of the human body, <laughs> at least for me, <laughs> not being a very big person, but, uh, you know, I think, I was really blessed to grow up in a family where the work ethic was just instilled at a young age, you know, taking care of animals on a farm and then eventually um, just getting to see how, you know, hard work can earn you the dollars that you need to get through school. And also there's a lot of technical elements to it. Like I do have a degree in biological sciences and a lot of the trade work that I was doing was a little bit more on the quality control side of things. So there was a little bit higher need for using that education, which I've always, you know, enjoyed. And today, you know, after all of those experiences have, have accumulated, I do have a specialization in corrosion, but my passion is business. So today I'm calling you as the co-founder of Chiron Group, which is um, a partnership that I have with another gentleman by the name of Terry Bandera. And what we do is we bring um, innovative products from the R&D floor to the marketplace. So we're that critical innovation arm of a lot of uh, category breaking products. And I'm happy to note that we've just completed our first investment and we have licensed some technology from Germany in the health and wellness space. So we're now full-time there in the C-suite, working on the expansion and scaling efforts across the Americas. Wow, wow. And I guess what are the main um, products or what are what is your main focus? So our main focus, like I said, is on a novel disinfectant. And I don't want to give away too many details because yeah. actually your podcast is preempting a lot of our press releases. <laughs> so, I mean, this yeah. is a great opportunity for me to just a little bit of a plug there on Chiron Group, but the rest of it I'm going to have to keep in the wings for now and tell a lot of great stories about what I had done in the energy space. And, and I think they're all super tied together. It's all on that building. And I think it's you can build a variety of, of things. You can build networks of people. You can build energy assets. You can build relationships. You can build teams. And I think that's really been the common thread that weaves my story together across a variety of industries that I've operated in. Um, but, uh, you know, I think my heart and home has been in the energy space for a while. And the people that I've encountered have been really what's made it made it such an easy thing to stay in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the people is so it's so diverse. Mm -hmm. um, right. You have professionals that, you know, that are they're that are in some pretty high positions, but you have professionals that have fallen back because guess what? They just want to make some money and pay off some debt. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a very intertwined, um, yeah, market of people 
and that's the a lot of the draw that I find is it's very eclectic and uh, yeah you can learn a lot of cool things by a lot of cool people right and well, you guys have touched on this a lot of the time it's it's a it's a very lonely but it can also be a very enriching experience it depends on kind of how you how you operate in those spaces and I guess for me um, a lot of the questions that I get are about being a woman in this industry because like when I say that I was on these projects I mean in the middle of nowhere working in a pretty hostile environment of like either extreme heat or extreme cold I guess I've had like the full spectrum of types of projects which was really cool hard to come back to Canada I'll be honest um, but uh, you know we've all had our share of challenges and I think what is really important to share is that there is more good that has come to my life from being around the kinds of people that operate on pipeline projects, on oil and gas projects, whether it's from an engineering standpoint or from the construction trade standpoint. And it's just really unfortunate that those stories don't make it out more often. Um, of course, there's been challenges, like I said, but more often than not, I've stayed extremely close with all the folks that I've worked with across the world. Um, I still hear from them. I still share stories with them. And I, I have to admit, you'll probably have to cut me off at some point because I do share that whole, uh, you become like a professional storyteller, I think, when you've worked in this industry for long enough because you have a lot of time to kill at night. So, you know, it's been very positive and I'm happy to happy to answer anything that you have. Oh, and I think let's, um, I guess what I'd like to hear first is just how, like your first thoughts, your first day on the job of a construction site. Do you recall what that was like and what that felt like? Yes. So the first days were the worst days. And so there was a pattern of working in this industry, especially in a pro project environment where it's, uh, three to six months long at any given time. Sometimes you're lucky enough to get out there for a year. So you have a lot of first days. It's not like a job that you have for 10 years. You have a new job every three months sometimes. So the first days typically went like this. I would, well, first of all, be bundled up. So I probably look like a child because I, I don't look very old when I don't have makeup on. So, um, you know, I'm walking around looking like a 10 year old child on site and people oftentimes thought I was lost. So they're trying to direct me to like the administrative trailer. And I had to have that uncomfortable conversation where I was like, well, actually I'm your boss. You know, like, um, I don't really know how to say this, but yeah, no, actually you work for me. <laughs> so there was a bit of, um, you know, dread, I guess you could say on some of those first days because you just know that you're constantly having to like, prove your worth in a way that's very subtle because I don't believe in just like expecting people to respect me. I've always just tried to let my actions speak for myself. So what I started to do is I just allowed myself to have one day where I just, it wasn't a great day. I knew it going into it. I hated the first day. I dreaded it, tried to just get on with it, build the relationships. Um, one of the tools that I talk about a lot in my writing is around the sense of forgiveness. Like it's, it's not going to be an overnight thing for people to get used to adjusting these gender roles. And yeah, I didn't fit the archetype or the, the current um, kind of what they were used to seeing walk into the room. So I could either 
fault them for that and forever hold it against them. Or I could look to see that they've made some adjustments in their behavior, forgive and move on. You know, I think that it's not a light switch. It's really an evolution. And I, uh, I have maybe a little bit of an advantage coming from a family where I had like a, a long line of women that kind of broke the mold from my grandmother who was part of the secret police and had a very high level role working in Aden in Africa to my mom who was like one of the first sales women to go visit Fort McMurray to sell filters. So I guess perhaps hearing those stories is helpful and must have done something to build a little bit of a sense of, you know, comfort that I was going to make it through. It was just one bad day and life goes on. Mm -hmm. Oh, fantastic. I guess. And how was that any different than your first boardroom experience? Yeah, the boardroom was another animal. You know, I think um, I have always made it a real focal point to ensure that I had mentors. So heading into more of my executive part of my career, where I was starting to have to address the board and present difficult information that they might not be wanting to hear at that particular time. Um, I think what my tool was then was that... um, I always had the numbers, like I always knew the numbers inside and out. So I just noticed that I was gaining a lot more opportunity to continue to get those invites because I was highly prepared. So I think that really set me apart and made it an easy choice for them to involve me, ask my opinion on more and more complex matters. And I think it's been a lesson that I've had from a lot of mentors that the higher up you go, the more, you know, you're going to actually face a lot greater and stiffer competition. So you have two choices. You can either be upset about it and stay at the level that you're at, or you can realize that life is one of those games where you attain a new level and you don't meet the final boss. The boss just gets more and more complicated to, to beat the more you level up. You know, it's just, a continual and unending game in life, which I think is why I love business. (laughs) No, and that's what a a lot of the draw in the program that we run in. So married business, married businessmen, women, (laughs) or women with kids, right? And now Mm -hmm. I'm tying in the fact that we work away. So we call it like the superfecta, superfecta (laughs) of chaos. Wow, yeah. Right? How can you not like... Yeah. How do you navigate that, um, that properly? And now, and then you're at bit at home or sorry, now you're at, at work and you're having to deal with all these different personalities and trying to climb this corporate ladder of, even if it's in the field, you're trying to, a lot of us that are driven that way, yeah. right? how can we get to the next level? And man, and how do you not get lost in that? And that's what I'm finding, right? Like a lot of people that I talk to, like they start defining themselves as that person. So I am, <laughs> I am an executive. I am a welder. I am, well, no, that's just a title that you have at work, right? That's not who you are, mm-hmm. right? So I know, yeah, <laughs> I, I think um, what you're doing here is is so positive because I, Uh, My favorite ever professor, Julian Barling at Queen's University, he's the foremost um, expert on leadership. 
And one of his lessons that really resonated with me was around how in the times of economic downturn, men are most hard hit by the change in a job or an unexpected career pivot because of the fact that their entire identity as it relates to their ego, their self, like everyone has an ego, right? Um, Their ego is extremely tied to who their title is on the business card instead of what they offer as a human being. And so I actually had this problem myself. I had to work with an executive coach because um, it was indistinguishable from who I was in an executive role to who I was on my free time. I guess that's not a a very clear way of saying it. I guess what I'm getting at is my coach identified that I needed to ensure that I decoupled the Chelsea Reschke brand from being VP of this company, you know? So who am I at the core that I could continue to carry on with me, whether I was at that job or not. And that's the really important thing. The brand that you have, that's, going to last and remain into perpetuity versus the one that ends and and dies. Like you have like a mini funeral, a grieving process when a job or a role ceases to exist, but you as a person have an opportunity to continue to carry on. So my, my, you know, mine was quite simple to work on. I just started to blog. I mean, it was just about how do I brand myself, what matters to me, what are my values, and what would I like for my story to be. So that's what sparked the blog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the definition and um, of yourself is, uh, and I'm seeing it now a lot with, with, especially with COVID, with people not working, right? And so the guys that are used to working 200 some plus days a year to yeah. 300 you know, 200 to 300 days a year are now at home looking after the kids. Are you, right. kidding? <laughs> are you kidding me? And vice versa. And a lot of women that were, you know, back into the, the workforce or just started back in the workforce, let's say after having kids or, or some other life event, and now they're back in the workforce and now they were back at home. So both ways, you're now just getting traction. <laughs> okay, we're just getting out of debt, babe, we're good, right? Or we're just, okay, one more job. I'm going to do one more job in the oil patch. And now you're 10 years <laughs> That one's later. my favorite. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> one right? more job. One, I think we've all been there. It's like, oh yeah, no, I swear this is my last project that I'm going to like, you know, pivot and find something more normal. But um, it, it comes to this. I think, I think um, as human beings, like we've all seen the variety of people that we interact with on these projects from the highly evolved, like armchair philosopher. Like I've worked with some guys that are so incredibly grounded as human beings and are so philosophically rich with wisdom that I'm just like, how on earth are you out here and why? (laughs) But you get to know them more and it's they're innately and very clearly um, living their purpose. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about purpose driven business, it comes down to a few steps. What are my values? What do I need to do in order to enact those values on a day-to-day basis versus just, you know, living them on the weekend or waiting for retirement perhaps. And um, for some people that continue to choose it and aren't looking to pivot and come home one day, it's because there's a, there's a great sense of, of purpose with what they're doing. And I've seen, you know, several of my closest friends in the industry are in their seventies and they're, they're never retiring. 
they can't retire because they're like, this is what makes them happy is being out there and being that source of expertise and knowledge, mentoring younger folks as well is a huge sense of purpose for some of these people. I've seen it myself. Like you can just tell that they're less excited about the actual work that needs to be done, but more excited about the new recruits that they've just um, vetted that are going to fit their model for someone that they're going to invest time in and provide that leveling up opportunity. They're going to throw you an opportunity that's barely manageable and you're going to be drowning and, you know, flailing around for a little bit, but they love that stuff. So I think uh, the purpose-driven business side of things, uh, an example that I can give you would be, I have a very core principle in any of the work that we do where we must be contributing more in value than we take in payment or else we're not in that business. We're not doing it. We will not take the contract if we don't believe truly that we can give more in value than what we're going to receive in compensation, Um, which really makes it easy for us to understand about deciding to invest in a particular product that doesn't have an intrinsic value and isn't solving a complicated human need. It doesn't fit our values. And so we pass on it. We've passed on many. It took us quite a while to invest in this health and hygiene product that we have now because we needed to, to do our due diligence and, and assess it against a variety of options. So in the pipeline construction world, I think uh, it's an important thing for folks to have an attachment to a core purpose and not just be a paycheck to, to somebody. And if they are, I mean, it offers an opportunity for them to reevaluate you know, what they're doing in life. But I've seen quite the opposite. I've seen a lot of people that just genuinely feel like they're making a very large contribution to society. They are craftsmen and are so proud of the work that they do. Like, I mean, I'm talking some jobs are miserable and they still do it as though their life depended on it. And I think, um, there's just such an immense source of pride that they get from it that you couldn't convince them that there's a better job out there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I and that's a, when you describe that, that's how I felt and I still feel. And it, that's the part where I struggle with now. I'm like, man, but how do I get that same feeling of accomplishment at work and apply it at home where I don't feel mm-hmm. just lost and and don't want to come home and it's not that i didn't have a beautiful wife beautiful kids right it's just i just felt lost when i was at home so now these tools like you're talking about like learning your values is huge and Mm -hmm. once you learn your values you can apply them like why is that important to me at work and why did i get that accomplishment why does that feel so good yeah now how can i apply that at home but if you don't know what your values are how can you how can you even consider that that's an option to to be happy in both places and be present in both places. So I have yet to take your workshop, but I would love to be a part of it one day because I would love to just double check that I've got everything kind of like properly assessed. I do do a little bit of an annual check-in on my values and see like what the changes might've been or where I need to like focus extra effort somewhere. Um, So mine is another story that actually relates to the change that I just had in my career. So my number one value is growth. And that is a really excellent compass if you think about it. So we're in a pandemic. 
I have a very stable corporate job that I'm doing very well at. I'm the director of business development for a globally recognized top 10 engineering consulting firm. Um, yes, we have our challenges like everyone else with, you know, clients shifting and the balance of our work changing, but I did not need to make a change. What I did need to do was realize that it wasn't, um, it wasn't the stability that matters to me. It's, do I have enough room to grow? And I didn't, and I love entrepreneurship and this job was the exact opposite of entrepreneurial. And, you know, in order for me to have my ultimate impact, I needed to basically just suck it up. There's never going to be a perfect time to start a business and I needed to make a plunge. And so I did quit an extremely stable golden parachute type of job to go into the startup world. I mean, it's, um, it will be yet to be told how it pans out, but I do know that even if it doesn't succeed, I'm still going to be okay because I made the decision for the right reasons, which is just that I needed to test myself. I needed to ensure that I was gaining new skills and I needed to make sure that it was all aligned with my core principles of, of that constant contribution and constant testing. And, and that's the only thing that makes me happy. I wouldn't be happy anyway else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, I just absolutely love it. We're, and that's what we're finding with a lot of the clients that we have and, and our lot are in the health space. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now I'm branding it into the, the oil and gas sector. And, okay. uh, but it's, yeah, it's people not living to their potential and their dreams, but they don't even know what their dreams are. Right. And that's where you're just, right? And that's why I'm so passionate about the oil patch space because what happens I find with a lot of times is you just you just get drowned in the fact that I'm just going to go make another, I'm going to make whatever your day rate, whatever, I'm just going to make this again today and I'm going to make this again tomorrow, the next day. And then I'm going to be off for three or four months but I have no idea like those three or four months that I was gone, <laughs> I never expanded at all because I right. just went to work. Like it was a job, even though you're, if you're a contractor or whatever, like did nothing to expand that. Mm. And, and so that's where I find like cognitively, everyone's just moving backwards. <laughs> it's like, you're just a drone where you're just sitting there and just nodding your head and doing the same task, the same thing, the same way, feeling accomplished while you're doing it. But mm-hmm. after work, nothing, right? right. Just in a camp room, watching TV, getting drunk with the boys, whatever it is and not expanding and then coming back to a a household or a family that has been expanding, right? Kids are Mm -hmm. in school, they're learning new things, right? Wife's making new friends, whatever it is, everyone else, but you're just there just being for three or four months, if that's your thing. And this is what I find a lot of people. So they're just unhappy. And that's why you see alcohol consumption go up, up, up over a project, Mm -hmm. right? Or drug use, whatever it is, like starts out minimal (laughs) or not at all. And then by the end of the three months, it's like every, every night now, five, six, seven, eight beers, boom. And that's what I just, yeah, that's why I'm passionate about it. How can we take that, what you feel during the day and apply it at night? Right. And then when you come home. So yeah. Uh, the other question I'd like to ask with values is, is your business values and your, or do you find that your business values and your personal values aren't the same? They're the same yeah. because I am the brand. Um, the business is an extension of me. 
they're while obviously like you know corporation comes from the latin word corpus which is body right like that truly is is kind of like what i buy into so no i think the business um everything that i do i grew up at a very young age having this thought if what i'm doing any of it was to be published in the headline of a newspaper would i be okay with my mom and dad reading it you know so like every decision all of a sudden becomes <laughs> that completely transparent highly ethically bound extension of my own individual person um i've always i've always felt like that i don't know maybe maybe that is a bit of that identity crisis that i was talking about where there was no differentiation between the company and me but i i do think that it's important for a business to be led by a set of values and now not everyone needs to actually like raw raw buy into every single word and have it be very inauthentic but you know at the end of the day is your company more about curiosity and wonder and solving big societal problems or maybe is it more of like being part of the community fabric that drives you guys to be excited to go to work because the extension of it is a very high value that you're providing to a large group of people i don't know um you had a really good comment that i was going to ask you something about the uh the the cyclical kind of stuff that we have seen in the oil and gas industry i think we should pause for a second and talk about that groundhog day um wake work eat drink repeat model yeah. uh it's it's unfortunate we've all seen it like i've i've been around it enough to know that it's extremely toxic it doesn't it doesn't lend well to having a long career because you're either going to end up in rehab or you're going to end up losing a job because of a misstep or you know not being reliable or or something of the like but i do think that it's a around choices and so just in case anyone listening to the podcast hasn't had an an intimate opportunity and an understanding of what the sacrifices are that you make are not that intuitive like to the average person they don't understand that it's oh very difficult to go to the middle of nowhere and live in a camp like all maybe the external person might be seeing is just okay yeah you're away from your kids and you miss it that's not the full you're you're not just missing out on on life for a couple of months you are essentially stuck it is a environment where there's a very minimal amount of freedom and so the options that are presented in these camps are not the most evolved ways of living i guess you could say the options are overeat for the most part at some of these really well done camps <laughs> and crawl, crawl into bed yes have like a netflix binge fall asleep do it all over again some of them have bars and you just know that um it's it's an easy habit to form for people but i want to go back to the choice paradox I want to go back and talk about the fact that the sacrifice is a choice. So you are choosing to enter into a lifestyle where you're going to have to give up something. It's up to you to make a choice that you come out better for it. Right? So I think you enter into a contract where you are going to have to give up creature comforts. I told myself I was okay missing out on some of the partying and the younger years cuz I was building a business and i thought it was well worth the sacrifice to be away 
from my family and friends and that what I was going to do was, was valuable enough that they would allow me the opportunity to catch up with them when I was done. There's choices around looking at it from the perspective of it being a blessing. So the camp food, like I just want to get really granular for a second. The camp food is a choice that you can perceive it as being, oh, we have to eat this uh, whatever again. Or you can look at it like I'm so blessed that I don't have to meal prep tonight because in all that time that I'm going to save myself, I get to do some reading. I get to fit a workout in. I don't need to go grocery shopping. I have fresh, wholesome food that I can select from. I don't need to eat mashed potatoes. There's a whack of vegetables that are lined up there, all steamed and ready to go, low calorie, put some protein on it. You know, you have an opportunity to get a much higher quality of life out of it, but it's all in the approach. You know, it's all in in how people like like steal up and shore up their minds. And what is not going to help you is when that mind becomes blurred and weak from the consumption of alcohol. So I'm not saying that I'm like perfect and I never went to a bar. I'm just saying that there's, there's an opportunity where the habits that are formed have to be conscious. You have to look at it as a choice and each and every step of that interaction, that day, that routine can be built and curated to make you a better person and a more productive human or happier person, better husband, better dad, (laughs) um, whatever. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's, and it's that habit that, you know, that we're really passionate about. Like that's the foundation that we teach is just, yeah. If you're not connected to your body, well, not connected, but if you're, if your body is shit and you're not able to tie your boots, you're not going to be very happy about life just in general. Right. And then if you're not connected to your being, you're not, which most people don't even know what that means. I know I didn't a few years ago, hundred percent didn't even know so how are you fulfilled like what fulfills you in life and then what do you do to actually balance yourself and your relationships (laughs) and then and when all those three things are aligned boom you make more money weird it's weird but we all look here first if i make more money i'm gonna i'll have time to have a better body when i have more money because i'll have more time no you won't the more money you make, the more the more high stress profile of job you have or career or mm-hmm. or a company of your own. Yeah. Do you think you got five minutes to yourself if you don't create it? No. So we find when those three things, your body, your being, and your balance are aligned, you actually make more money because you created space. So oh, I like that. The body, <laughs> the being, and the balance. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that's that's good. I'm gonna have to <laughs> Think of how to craft that into my, you know, daily practices. And it, it, it is a practice. I mean, it's, uh, I'm obsessed with habit books, by the way, like Charles Munger's, I think Charles Munger, The Power of Habit, and then the most recent one, Atomic Habits. Yep. Um, I'm just constantly trying to like tweak my routines and become like more optimal human being. I know I'm super nerdy. I'm sorry to go down this path, but the habit part of our brains is, is poorly understood. There's, there's a chemical dopamine feedback system in your brain and it's your, you know, it's the specific things that you choose to enter into, or I guess, let me try again. The habits themselves are self-reinforcing. Yeah. 
So as soon as you get that first rush from the dopamine entering your, your feedback loop, you're going to continue to do those behaviors over and over and over again. So it's really complicated to break habits, um, which is why the mindfulness, I guess my advice to folks that are entering into some of these environments where you're going to have a little bit more temptation to take a much more, you know, uh, I guess dulling of the senses approach, like using alcohol or anything like that in these camp situations versus joining up with a bunch of people that are out there working out. That's a conscious choice. The outcomes are the same. You're going to get a dopamine rush, but the long-term outcomes are vastly different, (laughs) right? Like the immunity, all that kind of stuff. And especially with COVID, your immune system needs to be such a focus, right? So exercise is highly important in that. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, man, it's, yeah, it's not nerdy. It's just things that we don't really think about. We just get in these patterns and it's just like picking up your phone in the morning and checking Instagram rather than actually getting up and let's say meditating, which I do now. Like, yeah. are you you kidding me? Yeah. Welder slash pipeliner for freaking 20 years. And now I meditate every day. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But what you I don't do that, but I did have to put my Instagram into a folder that I labeled waste of time. Yeah. And I honestly haven't been on it as much since I did that because (laughs) every time I see waste of time, when I go in the folder, I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like a little bit of a reinforcement not to go there. So how do you meditate? Like what's, what are some of the, um, like, what kind of meditation are you doing? Literally, like, when when I was over in, um, you mentioned rehab, I was there for not drugs or alcohol, but just not happy at all, like, in okay. life. This came right. to a head, right, with my separation and everything, and that's mm-hmm. a whole other story. But it, it's all relevant, and I just couldn't feel anything anymore. And then I just, I just had to do something different, get that... Um, just uh yeah just a totally new environment so i went over to thailand oh, <laughs> and, yeah so yeah so in in rehab in thailand and uh learned mindfulness mm-hmm. great had no idea what that was you mentioned that right and no idea and now i just love that idea and now we were forced to forced there to meditate for 20 minutes every day so now you got a bunch of drug you know, drug addicts, alcoholics, you know, what pill poppers, whatever it was like meditating for 20 minutes a day. And I'm like, no way, no way are you getting this brain to slow down for 20 freaking minutes. And it didn't. Right. Uh, But I sat there for 20 minutes, but that's the beauty of it is just not judging yourself. So Mm -hmm. now, now I can sit for hours if I wanted to, but I've been doing it every day for a year and a half almost. So, yeah. So, but my recommendation for people that want to get into it is just don't judge, like set your timer for two minutes and sit, just sit in a chair and shut your eyes and just sit in a chair and see what happens Mm. for two minutes. That's what I recommend. And just, right. And then what you'll find is you'll just, you're self-regulating, self-regulating yourself to the point where you just two minutes. Now it's three minutes. Now it's five and over time, right. 15, 20. And then if you can sit for an hour, you're like, Oh yes. But just to create that space. And there's a bunch of other ones that I recommend is just breathing. Like Mm -hmm. it sounds, we breathe every day. Great. But, but once you just actually sit and breathe with intent and the same thing, just breathe in for three seconds, hold it for three and out for four, do that three or four times. 
-hmm. And you'll just feel yourself just, and I recommend this for people in, especially in offices. It's really, you can't sit there and meditate for 20 minutes. It might get called out once or twice, right? But you can, nobody really knows, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, but you can sit there and you can breathe and you can do this in your truck at work too. Just sit and breathe and just self-regulate because you get worked up. Somebody says something that you don't like. Somebody does something that you don't like at work, right? And that's a whole other topic on why that triggers you. But in that space where, oh, shit, you start to like ramp up and get angry and and the heartbeat starts beating faster, you start saying things that you normally don't say, just stop and sit and breathe. Right. It's like calm so yeah you're gonna be on one of those Wim Hof retreats soon aren't you I'm gonna have to check in with you next time and be like were you out there in the blizzard with no shirt on or whatever they do they sit there in the snowbank and melt snow around them from their breathing they get so hot that they like just literally their metabolism keeps them alive I'm not there yet Nick I'm not quite there but uh, no, yeah. but what, just quickly, I'll just turn in. Like These are the things we do a live event. Uh, we call it the Men of Iron and the Women of Iron Forge. So we mm. do this in Victoria, and I want to start doing them out here in the Invermere area and uh, okay. Radium uh, in the Kootenays. Nice. Uh, I'd like to, right? So it's a two-day experience where we, we put people into a, a, a space with uh, six, eight, ten people, depends on how many show up or want to uh, join in, but it's always an even number. You always have to have a buddy. And uh, <laughs> so, but what you're doing is is just building a bond over those two days and you're breaking yourself down mentally, physically, just to like these things that we've been talking about where you just lie to yourself. Like right. lie to yourself, I, I am this, I am, like we talked, right? Like why do you feel like that's a thing? Why do you have to have a 100000 dollar boat like does that make you happy like but actually like get down mm-hmm. to the facts of your of your existence right it's right. like a, it's like a, a kpi right like mm-hmm. okay why is this happy why does this make you happy okay and then at the end of it we help you um so yeah it's like navy seal type stuff right we i was gonna say it. i was like i think i was listening to one of your other interviews and it sounds very much like inspired by some sort of like extreme physical is this where you guys puke or whatever yeah there might be some puking but that mostly me i've done it twice i'll i'll join you at your next one i love a good uh you know anything like i said i'm obsessed with personal growth so i have a lot of work to do still i think it's a work in progress always and it's it's cool to see that you're getting this message out to the very people that, you know, we're relying on, like I said, for our lifestyles in Canada, whether people believe this narrative or not, our evolution as a species, our modern quality of life is really associated with our use of fossil fuels. So mm-hmm. might not be a very popular thought right now, but I really do feel like we need to continue to support the folks that are out there working in these very difficult types of environments And perhaps the more that we invest in having these conversations and providing a, you know, a a give back opportunity, like this is my opportunity to give back some of my thoughts to the next person. Um, You know, I call this lift as you climb. So basically it's, it's like, it's great that you can scale to the top of the mountain, but worthless if you're not reaching your hand behind you and and pulling the next person up. Right. Mm -hmm. So all of these are are highly important. And then if you couple that with the economic uh, situation that we're in on top of that, I think it means 
a lot to have have you sharing this message. So I'm a huge fan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I 100% appreciate it. Like it's so hard to get this message out for to men for one. Like we do deal. I say men because I am a man, right? And I I can speak to that and to and but it is for both in it, right? It's both the male and female that are gone because people are going to do this work. They are going to work away and it's going to be like that for the dawn of time, whether it's in energy, it's going to be whatever else it's, it's going to, we are going to have to work away. It's a global, it's a global um, economy now where we are, we can't do everything virtual. So people are going to have to leave their homes and it started with industrialization. (laughs) Right. And, and that's why this is so passionate to me is we are going to leave. So how can we make that better? And how can you have a life? We like to say, have it all. How can you have the, you know, have the career that you want that makes sense to you, make the money that you want and have a family that's, that's uh yeah you're not getting served divorce papers like i did and so that's right. why i'm so passionate i don't want uh, if we can i don't want anybody else to to have that happen to them and their families right. so we should talk for a second about another fallout item from the just recent changes with covid and everything um you know there's a uh, like you hit on a couple really key trends like there is a giant swing in the whole working remotely and the gig economy is going to really flourish as a result of these rapid pivots that have been made. But there's a, uh, even if people aren't required to leave their home for any extended period of time to put food on the table, there's another really concerning trend um, around work intensification. So you have, you know, a very high percentage of jobs that are being reduced but the volume of work doesn't proportionately decrease. We all know that. And in fact, in addition to the lack of proportional decrease in work to the number of people that are left remaining, the competition also goes up because resources are further constrained. So like right now, for example, capital is highly constrained. So companies are having to be smarter, more efficient, and have a greater understanding of their customers so that they can win the business And this is what is called work intensification. So you end up with a lot of uh, burnout, like just Mm -hmm. rampant right now. And I think that's an unfortunate consequence. But again, there's going to be work that people are going to need to do to ensure that they shore themselves up. And I hate... I hate belaboring like any points around resilience because I feel like it's a very overused word. But resilience isn't how much you can take without breaking. It's about what you do in the down times where your computer doesn't require you to be in front of it or your boss doesn't require you to be in front of a computer. What are you doing on the down times to build the resilience? Not, I can do more, I can take on more, I yes, yes, I'll say yes to everything. Like that's not resilience. That's a recipe for an absolute mental breakdown. Anyone who's, yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to take my own advice, but I am. Uh, yoga, for me, I have to do it in the mornings at 6 a.m. before my day starts because I need to ground myself. And uh, you're talking about breath work. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but what yoga is actually teaching your body to do physiologically is to calm itself when it's being put through a stressor. So a lot of the postures that elevate the heart rate a huge amount, right? Like almost to like 70 or 80% of your max heart rate at times. 
you're also slowing your breath at the same time, which is actually, um, it's dissonant, like they're opposites, right? So you're, you're, you're creating a habit out of having your physiological responses be the opposite of a stress response. And it's being an intentional, um, it's an intentional um, reaction that you're, you're, you're making your body go through. And over time you train that into your system and it helps bring overall like stress levels down and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm not the expert. I've burnt out before. Luckily, I haven't ended up, you know, in a hospital or anything like that. But I I guess it's just uh, going to have to be a little bit more of a focus for everyone, especially now with roles changing so much. Yeah, but it's in that vulnerability where, you know, I, I speak freely about it and I'm still, you know, in a fairly high position and you're yourself right it's other people hearing that they're like man i thought i was the only one Mm -hmm. like seriously Mm -hmm. dude like you're not the only one that works 15 16 17 18 hours a day for months on end like it's gonna if you have zero tools to self-regulate that and zero tools to manage that yeah shit's gonna fall down like you might still think you're okay, but if you actually looked at the carnage behind you, <laughs> oh, yeah. And this is the reason for these live events. And this is the reason for stuff is just bringing that to light. We have lots of people that come and they're like, man, you know, boys weekend. No, let's go do this. I'm going to drink, you know, we'll roll around on a beach. We'll do some stuff, climb a mountain, whatever. We'll be good. My life's pretty good. And at the end of the two days, they're like, shit, you know, I think yeah, I could use some help in some areas, right? And it's not, uh, you just, because you want more. It's not that you weren't failing or that you are failing. It's just, man, like, no, I want better. And that's mm-hmm. my, <laughs> I've always wanted excellence. And that's another one of my issues. Like, yeah, you should, you should want more. But like, to the point where let's burn everything down to get what I want, not not the ideal thing. So this is the, these are the tools that we try to bring in and, in our message. And uh, yeah, so my business partner actually made me make a promise that was pretty unusual. So he's, he's achieved some pretty large measures of success in the work that he's done. And I feel extremely like very fortunate to have him as a business partner because he could literally be anywhere. Um, So like think of we're just drinking from the fire hydrant, as I say, like there's just so many things happening in a short time frame right now. And he's like, I only want you to make me one promise. I'm like, sure. Yep. Name it. Uh huh. He's like, I want you to go back to finding and working with an executive coach. And I'm like, I'm totally fine right now. Like I'm super balanced. I've actually never felt better. And he's like, regardless, it, if you're one hour with her every month, just ends up you telling her how balanced and great life is. I don't mind but your commitment that you have to make to me is that you're going to work with a coach again because we cannot afford to be anything but optimal and healthy because mm-hmm. we have a key man risk. Like if one of us goes down, then we have a serious problem for the other person. So this is the commitment I expect of you. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh, well I actually don't object. I love working with coaches. I think, I've always found a lot of benefit and value from them. And for the money spent, there's no greater investment in investing in yourself. 
Yeah, and that's and that's the work that we do is the personal accountability every day, and then we do weekly check-ins with our guys every week. Okay. And yeah, it's just an hour Zoom meeting, and and this is what I find, man. This is not like when you say coaching, like it's not like you and your girlfriend. I don't whether it's a guy or a girl, your coach, it doesn't matter, right? But it's not the same as you and your girlfriend having a drink of a margarita at the bar after work, mm-hmm. right? That's not what this is about. It's like, okay, like actually like the facts of your life and the facts of your business and okay, is it working or is it not? Well, we should talk about that because I think, (laughs) I think like that you've just hit on a great point. Like a lot of people would look at it and be like, oh, I'm going to have like an armchair psychologist telling me like I need to fix these things. I actually like was so surprised by the approach, (laughs) not a COVID cough, (laughs) just a talking cough. I um my foray into the executive coaching um, systems was actually very empirical based. So I did a Lumina personality assessment. This was in 2014. I had my first executive coach. I hired her because I went from being a one woman show, being a very individual contributor, specialist in corrosion highly reliable individual, just do my work, you know, get the results, have to manage my army of one to managing a team of, you know, men that were in their forties, fifties, and sixties. And I was in my late twenties. I'm sure I'm not going to give away my age. It's obvious that I'm in my thirties. Okay. Whatever. (laughs) So, um, uh, you know, I, I said to her, I'm like, I'm really unused to having to actually like have an accountability check on another adult. Like I'm just used to just, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to get things done. I don't really know how to manage this performance issue that I'm experiencing. So she did an assessment for me on my personality and it was revealed that, (coughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) It was revealed that um, my greatest weakness was just an inability to let go of work when I was stressed. I would just take more on. So we started working on specifics on how to delegate effectively and how to build teams more effectively so that I could rely on other people and have, you know, the appropriate controls in place for them to succeed and all this kind of stuff. So that was my very first experience with it. I thought there's not a million opportunities that would have formed organically where I would have learned this myself in the same time frame. So well worth the money there. And then, like I said, it ended up, uh, having a very like uh, focused kind of lean towards my personal brand because she was worried that I was just going to wrap myself up so much in the work that I wouldn't have a sense of self. So, yeah. And, and that's it the, the, right there. Right. It's just, it's, it's just someone to check into. That's not a buddy that sees it from the outside looking in, right. Your friends are just there that they're, they're, they're going to validate the way that you are, the way that they see you, right? Mm-hmm. So if if you're if they're good with you going on golfing trips with them every weekend, yeah, they're gonna encourage that, right? <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna encourage that, or going to the bar after work for three or four hours and then going home, they're gonna encourage that behavior, even though everything else is falling around. So this mm. is just a this is just a fact that okay, we're just gonna check in. 
how is everything actually going and no stories <laughs> don't give me no stories <laughs> just no stories just no bullshit just okay just what are the facts and that's why i love this and that's yeah and the, and but most people in the industry have don't know what what a coach actually is right and it's not a yeah. psychologist i'm a i'm actually a, a, a certified uh cbt practitioner and oh, great. Awesome. yeah yeah so not a therapist like i'm not no practitioner way different <laughs> way different CBT is very powerful i mean like most of uh most of the items that i've had to work on we've utilized cbt type of techniques and cognitive behavioral therapy in case people don't know what the acronym is but um yeah that's fascinating like where uh where did you where did you get that course done or where do you find stuff like that? Just online is where I did okay, it. Yeah. 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 And it was, um, yeah, it was more, and I encourage it in, in more ways than one. And we deal, we have one of the tools that we use. It's uh it's an app. It's the Patriot missile game. Uh, my coach called it and coined this app. And it's basically, cool. you just start with a trigger and then you end up with an, an epiphany and a way forward. Awesome. So, and that's the right. But in the process, you go through three or four different types of stories through your head, right? The me version, <laughs> the me version, the you version. And yeah, there's a lot to it. And then um, it's all bullshit. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The stuff going in between your ears, it's like the trigger is never you know, this is, a, you know, getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but I love this stuff. And mm -hmm. it's just the trigger is never what you actually think it is. It's always something else. And it's, that's the cool part about CBT is actually getting to the root of what the actual issue was that made that, made that trigger a trigger for you. Okay, let's talk about this for a second, because this is a really important theme that I think a lot of people are experiencing. And, and if I'm wrong, then it's yeah. just me that I was, ex I was experiencing this. I'll just talk about me. <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk for other people. So I was experiencing a overwhelming loss of control. So um, I just want to pull up my notes here because I had I had a two things that are the most stressful experiences that a human can go through. Where did I have that? Well, Essentially, it's a loss of control or um, a lack of ability to have an out, uh, influence over an outcome. Mm -hmm. So COVID, all of a sudden we're working from home. My career is in flux or it's a question of like, nobody really knew what was going to happen, right? Uh, contracts getting shelved and our very large business, you know, just in a constant hurricane for the first couple of months of trying to deal with what are we going to do about this? How long is this going to last? You need to have all the answers because you're, I'm on the leadership team and I need to be able to advise on how we're going to manage this. So, you know, and on top of that, like having personal freedoms re removed, obviously reasons why, and um, just being concerned about the health and wellness of folks that are too far away for me to care for. So, this is called um, locus of control. So I, what I think has happened throughout COVID is there's been an overwhelming sense of loss of control. And so how do you fix that from a mental and cognitive perspective? Well, it becomes a practice on defining what your internal locus of control is instead of letting the external world dictate how your day is going to go, month, year, career, life, whatever you want to call it. 
because they're all very interconnected. So, you know, you've touched on the CBT side of things. I'll just give a couple examples. Things that I started to focus on when I was feeling so overwhelmed, like ask, ask anybody, I was feeling it. And I, I told my team this as well. I said, like, I don't have the answers. Like, I don't really know how long this is going to go. And in fact, one of my MBA colleagues was like messaging me saying, Chelsea, do you think oil prices will go negative? I'm like, (laughs) Carl, there's absolutely no way oil prices would ever go negative because that would mean that demand is like negative and people are giving. No, anyway, I said, Carl, you won that one. Okay. Um, So, I mean, we're dealing with a whole sense of, of just loss on several fronts, but you know, what can I control? Well, I can control how I show up for my team. I can control that I'm going to start the meeting by actually checking in with you and asking you how things are, what's good, what's not so good. So we started to implement, you know, just very subtle shifts in the way that we were interacting with our immediate team, because that's what I could control that day. I could control to a certain extent how people showed up for us and did their best work because I mean, on top of everything else, I don't need a team that's not performing. So, you know, that was one thing I could control what went in my body, what I was eating, what I was drinking. I tried to work out from home. You know, I tried to do things that were going to provide a positive uh, impact on my overall health and well-being. I made a, a, a real priority to work on my writing because that was something that I had as a joy. That was a very small joy that I could actually get in a day and not have to leave the house for it or, you know, spend any money. Cause like everyone was like, don't spend money. It's all negative and you're going to be out of a job. Right. So the internal locus of control is where I'm going with this. You probably have a wealth more of a knowledge on this part, but I think it's really worth a, it's worth focusing on because we're still not through it yet. We still don't have the answers. And I think I don't have children, just so you know. I don't have kids, but I've heard from parents even saying, I don't have answers to tell my kids. Like I, I've never really been the person to say, I don't know, but I can't lie to them. I really truly don't know what's gonna happen or how long or whatever it's gonna look like after we're through this. But you can pick a few things each day that you do have ultimate and total control over. And that actually breeds a real sense of direction. And, it, and it's a confidence boosting and emotional uplifting, um, you know, you get from that. Uh, you can list some, exec- some examples, I'm sure. But I, I don't know if you guys have touched on that in previous podcasts, but I just thought it was really, really imperative to yeah. let people know. Yeah, and it's it's huge and that it goes and it's funny you said that because it all goes back on how we teach people how to do habits in our system, right? Okay. It's just what can you control? Well, I can control drinking a green smoothie every day. Yeah, whether you, that's your thing or not, I don't give a shit. Guess what? You're going to drink a green smoothie every day. Okay. Okay, I can control what I put in my body. Boom. Mm-hmm. There, you just controlled for that split second that it took you to drink that, you know, that that green smoothie. You controlled that. Mm-hmm. And now your brain says, I accomplished something because I said I was going to do that. Sweet. Okay. Okay. You're going to do 10 push-ups today. That, if that's your level of fitness, you're going to do 10 push-ups today. Yeah. Love boom. it. As soon as yeah. you said 10 push-ups, boom. Cognitively, you're like, 
I, I did it. I'm a winner. I accomplished something that I (laughs) I did what I said I was going to do today. Okay. I said I was going to send my wife a text message of love, honor, and appreciation. And why? Boom. I did it. Now you're winning, right? And you're gaining traction throughout the day and do that every single day. Like those are just a few examples that we, that we implement to our guys. And that's just, small wins in each of those areas, right? Back to your body being balance and business. If you do something in all four areas every day, like business, learn something and teach something every day. Boom. All you're doing is learning something, whether it's in your field, it has to be relevant to your field. Mm -hmm. So for me now with this stuff, it's okay. Learn marketing. I knew zero about marketing. I know zero, like, man, I interviewed Roberto Monaco. This dude has taught every, um, I don't know if you saw that one, but I, he no, taught, he, that one. yeah, he taught every one of, of, uh, uh, Tony Robbins speakers and he was a Tony Robbins speaker and now wow. he has his own, his own company influenceology, right. And he teaches people how to speak well now. So those are the people that I follow those. I learn something and then I teach it to like, well, now I'm teaching you on this podcast about Roberto Monaco That's and cool. how to speak better. Right. And it's, it's crazy on how that works, but it's just, okay, small wins every day. And then you just start gaining traction, but people want and, that and, home and, run. <laughs> and like also allowing in certain kinds of information. That was another conscious one. I was like, at some point I just, the news isn't really helping me. I'm educated enough about the topics that I need to speak to. The rest of it is not contributing to my overall well-being. So I'm just going to like dial it back for a little bit. So, yeah. you know, like it's a, you have a, an overwhelming amount of opportunity to fill your mind with information. And it, we, we do have to start to become a little bit selective about what that, what those sources are. And then people that you surround yourself with as well, because I think there's definitely an infectious nature to people that are positive And so same thing with people that are negative it's, it's, you know, you can't really help but get on the bandwagon either for the good or the worse, right? So I think, uh, you know, that's what makes me feel fortunate to be doing what I'm doing now. Like, my partner is, without a doubt, such a leader in the space that he's in. And, you know, one of the additional benefits that we get to, to be a part of is, is, a nonprofit foundation that he's founded. There's our contribution bucket being filled. Like go into one of these events that he's hosting and tell me that you don't walk out of it. Just feeling like such a sense of a room full of new friends. Um, so just to give you a quick backstory here, <laughs> there's a really odd narrative around a capitalism and B oil and gas and those two together, you've created like a super evil, right? So, you know, Terry, my business partner, he was like, this is crazy. Like we have the most generous clients and we have the most amazing businesses, suppliers, vendors that all want to be a part of doing something great. Let's start a foundation. So he did. He started a nonprofit foundation. And I think it's like six years in, they're almost at $700,000 raised. And just to give you some context here, in the room, there's no more than 100 people every year. So in, you know, that's basically like $100,000 every time they get together um, and have, you know, drawn all of these pieces together uh, for the purposes of 
helping out kids that have had just undeserved challenges in their life with health and, and well, mainly like health challenges and the families that are, are nearby to them, brothers and sisters that maybe don't get a normal childhood because they have a brother or sister who's very ill, right? That becomes the, the family's focus and, you know, for not only their attention, but resources and everything. So yeah, we're rebranding the foundation. It's the Zug Foundation, which is um, a Swiss word for train, uh, simply because it's inspired by all the people that see an opportunity to do good. They're not going to let the train go by, you know, they're going to get on board that type of thing. So anyways, the Zug foundation, I've just become a director of that foundation. And obviously for COVID reasons, we're not having a big event this year, but I'll have to keep you in the loop for future. Yeah. Oh, I'd love it. No, that, and that's the stuff I've never, you know, I'm, I'm too busy. I can't do this. I, I and just don't. And now I'm, mm-hmm. I'm creating space to, to leave things like that it, time for that stuff. And it's not, it's just making time for things that, because it is, it's very important to give back. And mm-hmm. I don't care what your honestly, I don't care what your values are giving back. Once you do it once, twice, a couple times, you're like, you know, and that's what this podcast is. It's just trying to give back something that I perceived as negative. And this, this podcast got started when a friend of mine um, that I inspected with, he took his own life. I'm so and sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. And it was just that between that and how I felt, I was like, you know what? I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. right. And it, it's, not, it's not a bad thing. It's just, Okay, why is this? And that's why the CBT is so is uh, a big part of my life now. How can we change that shift in in focus and give back to people that maybe are feeling the same way and just want better? And yeah. I think that's most of us. If you, really I would say, that. like <laughs> most people want to be happy and fulfilled. Yeah. So I mean, it's just sometimes they don't not necessarily understand the tools that are available or. or the conversations haven't been something that they've had access to the language to even describe where they're at. And because it's the more normal it becomes like just through simply like saying, you know, yes, I've had to go to therapy. Yes. I've hired executive coaches. I haven't had all the answers. I have really needed to work on myself in certain periods of my life. It becomes a lot more understood a, Mm-hmm. Um, they know where to go to get some of these things done. And then they are already empowered with some language that they can go to these meetings and describe that I'm not feeling myself. I have a, I'm anxious. I have, you know, a lack of, you know, zest to do anything besides just show up. Right. So <laughs> I, uh, I admire it, Nick. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. And I think, um, no, I think we could talk for hours and hours and, <laughs> and I think it would be great content and maybe I'd love to do this again further yeah, down sure. the road. Um, but let's, uh, I think just throw in what your closing remarks are, I guess, okay. with the purpose based business. Well, for me, purpose based business is truly about having a, a core understanding of the values that you embody as a human being and ensuring that the work that you do has a linkage and a clear one to what the values are that you hold. And I think for most people, they do want to be happy and fulfilled. A lot of people, when they are able to understand the value of their contributions through the work that you're doing, for example, and doing like that, that work on self, or simply by, you know, understanding a lot more of, of what 
people perceive their role and value to be in society, you're going to end up with a much, much greater outcome, a lot easier time achieving happiness and success. So purpose-based business is really around understanding what your, what your legacy is going to be in this world. So, yeah. Well, it's fantastic. <laughs> and where, where can people find you? I know there's the blog and right. uh, so the blog is um, www.the6040rule.com. So the 6040rule.com. We didn't touch on that, but it's 60% growth and 40% gratitude. That's kind of the, the model that I've, I've adopted. And uh, to get in touch with me, they can subscribe to the blog. They can also contact me um, through the contact page on that website as well. Um, and I really look forward to hearing from some of the audience and sharing this with a whole bunch of my network as well. Cause I think this is great, Nick. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, awesome. And is there anything else that we you'd like to touch on before we go or? Um, no, I, I think that my hope is simply that people are, are taking good care of themselves. And I do want to say a huge thank you truly to the people that are still out there and are working in some more difficult environments so that we can enjoy the quality of life that we have here in Canada and elsewhere. So big shout out to a whole bunch of my past colleagues and looking forward to connecting with them in the near future again. Awesome. And I appreciate you for wanting to do the interview and I think it was fantastic. Thanks very much. Awesome. I'm glad to be here, Nick. All right. And signing off. Great. See you later. Thank you for listening to today's Tale from the Trench. Be sure to subscribe to The Awakened Tradesman on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Instagram and message us for a customized coaching strategy call to successfully live your oil-filled lifestyle. You can earn a fulfilled life. Check back next week to continue listening.